0: Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 13. In the church Bible, that's page 316. And in the large print Bibles, 486. 2 Samuel 13. And we're going to take the time this morning to read the whole of chapter 13. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I may eat it from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please, speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shearers were at Baal Hazor near the border of Ephraim, He invited all the king's sons to come there. Absalom went to the king and said, Your servant has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? No, my son, the king replied. All of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's man did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. While they were on their way, the report came to David, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. The king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down in the grind. And all his attendants stood by with their clothes torn. But Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, My lord should not think that they killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day that Amnon ripped his sister Tamar. My lord, the king should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Meanwhile, Absalom had fled. Now the man, stand, the man standing watch looked up and saw many people on the road west of him coming down the side of the hill. The watchman went and told the king, I see men in the direction of Haraniyam on the side of the hill. Jonadab said to the king, See, the king's sons have come. It has happened just as your servant said. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in, wheeling loudly. The king too and all his attendants wept very bitterly. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amiud, the king of Geshur, but King David mourned many days for his son. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years, and King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. This is God's word. 2016 is the 500th anniversary of a book that was written by Thomas Moore. That name might not immediately sound familiar, but if you saw the recent BBC series called Wolf Hall, Thomas Moore was one of the characters in that series, which was loosely based on history. He was executed because he disagreed with Henry VIII about divorce and about the church, but the book that's being celebrated this year isn't about either of those things. The title of Thomas More's book is Utopia. And in that book, he describes what he considers to be the perfect society. It's an imaginary island. It's a place that's perfectly prosperous and perfectly fair. More describes it in great detail, his Utopia. But the funny thing is, utopia literally means no place. Thomas More could imagine what it might be like, but he knew it didn't exist, not on this earth. And 500 years later, utopia is still no place. Plenty of people have tried to create the perfect society, And all of us long for it. Maybe we can even imagine it. But it has never become reality. The Bible tells us why. The thing that puts utopia beyond our reach is human sinfulness. And the root of human sinfulness is our failure to listen to God's word and obey God's word. The closest thing to utopia the world has ever seen was the Garden of Eden. But what was it that ruined the Garden of Eden? It was the man and woman's failure to listen to God's word and obey God's word. God gave them lots of positive commands. Be fruitful, he said. Fill the earth and subdue it. In fact, God only gave them one negative command. He told them one thing was off-limits to them, just one tree. But Genesis chapter 3 tells us the man and woman ignored God's word. They ate the forbidden fruit and it turned out to be bitter fruit. Maybe it tasted good in their mouths for a moment, but it made their lives bitter ever after. The man and woman immediately started fighting with each other. Their work Became toil, and before very long, one of their sons had murdered his brother. When God's word is ignored, there can be no utopia. There will be bitterness and injustice and pain. What does that have to do with the passage we've just read? Well, after the Garden of Eden, the kingdom of David is the next closest thing there's ever been to utopia. Israel was a nation founded in God's word, his law. And David is a king chosen and anointed by God. So when David came to the throne in Israel, it seemed like the perfect combination. And for a brief period of time, things did seem to be perfect. We were told David reigned over all Israel doing what was just and right for all his people. He even reached out to his enemies with kindness. But in recent weeks, we have seen David ignore God's word. And although David himself has received forgiveness from God, the rest of the book shows the bitter fruit that comes from ignoring God's Word. Israel's utopia disintegrates, just like Eden's utopia disintegrated. And 2 Samuel chapter 13 describes the beginning of that disintegration. If we want just one statement that gives us the key to this chapter, then we need to listen to the person no one listens to in this chapter. We need to listen to Tamar. Whenever Tamar realizes what Amnon intends to do, she says, no, such a thing should not be done in Israel. Now when she says that, she's not just saying, this goes against our culture and our traditions. No, she's saying much more than that. She is saying this goes against God's word. That's what makes Israel special. They have God's word. They know what God loves and they know what God hates. They know what is good and they know what is evil. They know what God requires and what He forbids. God's word tells them. And when Tamar says this should not be done in Israel, she's saying, don't ignore God's word. Don't defy him. But no one listens to her. And this chapter describes the bitter fruit of ignoring God's word. As we look at this together, maybe you can see the cause of bitterness and pain in our own society. Maybe we will be challenged as we look at this to pay much more attention to God's word ourselves. And hopefully, as we look at this, we will long for the true utopia King Jesus is going to bring. We're going to look at this one character at a time. Because each character here shows us an aspect of this bitter fruit. The fruit that comes from ignoring God's word. The first character we meet is Amnon. And he shows us that when God's word is ignored, love becomes distorted. Look again at verse 1. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Amnon is David's oldest son. So he is heir to the throne. We're told here he falls in love with Tamar. We're told Tamar is his sister. And we're told also what his love consists of. It consists of wanting to do something to Tamar. That's how verse 2 puts it. In other words, Amnon's love is pure lust. It's about his hormones, not his heart. He doesn't want to cherish, honor, and protect Tamar. He wants to do things to her. As far as he's concerned, she is an object he wants to use. The only one Amnon loves is himself. Amnon's love is not a biblical love. Genesis tells us God created the first man and woman to serve him together, side by side. That was to be the context for their sexual pleasure. God did not look at Adam and say, I'll create someone for Adam to do things to. He said, I will create a helper for him. Someone he can work together with. Someone to share the responsibilities of life with. Here, Amnon is ignoring that word of God. And our society generally ignores it too. Have a look at a few music videos, or films, or TV shows. Look at the center of Walsall on a weekend, in the evening. Hasn't the meaning of love been distorted? Isn't it more about people loving themselves and wanting to use other people? Isn't that what pornography is all about? Isn't it an obsession with using other people to please ourselves? Of course, the perception in our society is that God's word is oppressive and restrictive. God's word spoils our fun. But the reality is God's word gives us the only blueprint for sex without shame and without heartache. We'll see later on how abandoning God's blueprint leads to hurt and abuse. But first we run into a friend of Amnon. His name is Jonadab. And he shows us when God's word is ignored, good gifts are misused. Jonadab comes into the story because Amnon has a problem. He wants to do something to Tamar, but he can't see how. Verse 2 explains why that is. It's because she's a virgin. Meaning she's a woman of marriageable age. And as a royal woman of marriageable age, she was under protection. As far as Amnon can see, it's impossible for him to do anything to her. And so like a child who can't get what he wants, he makes himself ill. And it's at this point Jonadab enters the picture. Verse 3 tells us he's the son of David's brother. So he's Amnon's cousin. And the text said... He is a very shrewd man. That word is often translated in the Bible as wise. Wisdom is a good gift from God. But Jonadab misuses that gift. He uses it for evil. When he asks Amnon what's wrong, he's told in verse 3, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So it is very clear Tamar is off limits in this situation. There's nowhere good for this to go. It would be incest. And yet, Jonadab uses his God-given wisdom to help Amnon get what he wants. He comes up with this plan to deliver Tamar into Amnon's hands. One writer says, Jonadab has skill without scruple, wisdom without ethics, insight without integrity. In recent years, politicians have been talking a lot about having a moral compass. And I think what they mean by that is, we need leaders who use their power and ability Well for good and not for evil. But talking about having a moral compass hasn't really made much difference to what actually happens. That's because the only way to develop a moral compass is to listen to God's word and seek to obey God's word. If we don't do that, our abilities end up being used for harm, not for good. Think of some of the most significant crimes in recent years. Not petty crimes, but crimes that have made the headlines. Those crimes have been committed by some of the most intelligent people. People who have used their skills in finance to rip the public off for billions. Think of the recent scandal at Volkswagen the engineering skill that went into cheating on vehicle emissions. Some of the greatest medical skills are being used not to fight disease, but to help athletes cheat with illegal drugs. So long as God's word is ignored, people like Jonadab will go on using their God-given skills to do wrong. And the result of all this is that the vulnerable suffer. Recently, the British Humanist Society released a video explaining what they stand for. And the message of that video was, God doesn't exist, there is no ultimate standard for our lives. So happiness comes from each of us doing what we enjoy. It's not hard to see the problem with that outlook. If there's no ultimate standard, then there are no real limits to me doing what I enjoy. And that means other people are going to suffer. That's what happens to Tamar. She is the victim of Amnon doing what he enjoys. She's caught in the trap set by Jonadab. Amnon pretends to be ill, he asks for Tamar to come and prepare some special food, then he sends out the servants so he's alone with her. We're told he grabs her, he refuses to listen to her, even when she reminds him this is against God's word. It should not be done in Israel. Amnon ignores her protests and he rapes her. He's just doing what he enjoys. Just doing what seems good to him. But because he's ignoring God's word, because Amnon has no standard other than his own desires, Tamar... Suffers violence and humiliation and loss. When we ignore God's word, then it's all about who has the most strength or the most craftiness. Those are the people who will get what they want, the rest will suffer and lose. When we ignore God's word, the ones who should be most protected, they become the ones most preyed upon. When we ignore God's word, those who suffer most are those with the least power. The children, the elderly. And despite all the talk today about equality for women, The sex trade is thriving today like never before. And the primary victims are women. When God's word is ignored, the cries of the vulnerable are ignored too. And it could be this is particularly painful for you. Maybe you have been through what Tamar went through or something very like it. Maybe no one has listened to you. Neither the person who abused you or the people who should have helped you. Maybe you've even been abused in a religious context the people who claimed they were following God. If that's the case, then please understand, what was done to you is an offense to God. Tamar understands that. She knows the God of the Bible hates this. He calls it Wicked. Tamar understands God's hatred of the sin but she doesn't seem to understand God's care for her. She says to Amnon, if you humiliate me like this where could I get rid of my disgrace? We're told after the rape she lives in her brother Absalom's house a desolate woman. And yet God's word says he is close to the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That is not just an idea. It is something God does. It's a promise fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Jesus began his ministry by quoting from Isaiah in the Old Testament. He stood up in the synagogue and he read a passage that says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If you are living with the bitter fruit of someone else's sin, Don't allow that sin to rule over your life. Don't let it define your life. Take God at his word. Trust him to heal your wounds and take away your shame. Verse 15 tells us what happened when the rape was over. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Amnon wouldn't listen to Tamar before he abused her, and he won't listen to her afterwards either. His, her presence is like a testimony confronting him with his own evil. So he has her thrown into the street. And really, it's hard to know what to make of Absalom here. Yes, he takes Tamar in, and later he goes about avenging her, but really, he seems more taken up with hatred for Amnon than with concern for Tamar. We'll come back to Absalom in a moment. But before that, we need to notice David's involvement, or his lack of involvement. Because verse 21 says, when King David heard all this, he was furious. When we read those words, we expect something more, don't we? He was furious and he, but there is nothing more. He gets angry and he does nothing In one sense, it's perfectly understandable David would do nothing. David looks at this situation and he sees his own failure being reflected back to him. Remember, he took a woman who was off limits to him, Bathsheba. You can hear the voice in David's head. Your son is just following in your footsteps, David. You've shown him the way. Your sin is being reproduced in him. This is the bitter fruit of your sin, David. And if that's what David's thinking, it's true. David is seeing the legacy of his own sin played out in his family. Those of you and myself who have children We need to take this to heart. The biggest legacy we will leave our children is our character. That's going to impact them more than anything else we give them. One writer says this, Fathers, mothers, look and learn. If you care for your children, then guard your own integrity, uprightness, truthfulness and character. You and I must never imagine we can have secret sins. Because whether our sins remain secret or not, they will bring bitter fruit. David is seeing the fruit of his own sin. But David's mistake here is that he allows it to silence him. It's true, he has failed in the past. In one sense, he has absolutely no right to call his son to account. But David has a God given responsibility to call Amnon to account. No doubt David feels his own failure, but he's God's anointed king. He's responsible, remember, to do what is just and right for all his people. David has to bring God's law to bear on this. Yes, his own sin has paved the way for it. But his sin hasn't done away with God's word. David's own character may be tarnished. But David is called to uphold God's character in the situation. And that means bringing justice according to God's law. I think this can be a very significant problem for us. For dads especially. We look at our own failures and we feel a hypocrite if we try to teach our children and discipline our children. And so we just end up leaving it alone. But fathers have a God-given responsibility. It's outlined in detail in the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New Testament. We are to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's important that you and I face up to our failures. But the way forward is not to shrink away from our responsibilities. The way forward is to confess our sin and turn from our sin and then point our children to the perfect father and his perfect word. At this point, David is allowing his past sin to silence him. But God has called him to shepherd Israel. And when God's word is ignored, responsibilities are neglected. And David's neglect at this point opens the way for an even bigger mess. What happens next shows us that when God's word is ignored, hatred produces chaos. In one sense, Amnon and his brother Absalom are not really that different. Amnon allowed his lust to consume him. Now Absalom's hatred consumes him. Verse 22 says, Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Then we discover for two years, Absalom allowed his hatred to fester. He lets it simmer away. We've already seen he seems more concerned with taking vengeance on his brother than paying attention to his sister, Tamar. Absalom's hatred is boiling away, but he keeps a very cool head. He bides his time. And then, at sheep-shearing time, he makes his move. In this culture, sheep-shearing was a major community event every year, it was an excuse for a big celebration. And Absalom carefully lays his trap. He makes sure all of his brothers attend the party. Then he has Amnon murdered. And the aftermath is chaos. The other brothers scatter. A rumor quickly gets back to Jerusalem that all David's sons are dead. And while the truth is being sorted out, Absalom goes into exile in verses 37 and 38, we're told he flees to Geshur. That's about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. It's the home of Absalom's grandparents on his mother's side. Absalom stays there for three years. And there's some ambiguity about Absalom's plans here. On the surface, it seems he just wanted vengeance for Tamar. And that's certainly part of it, maybe the major part of it. But we need to realize by killing Amnon, Absalom has now become first in line for the throne. Amnon was the firstborn. It seems Caliab the secondborn, is already dead by this stage. So as the thirdborn son, Absalom is now first in line. And it seems he spends his years in Geshur plotting to take the throne. That's all going to play out in the chapters to come. But the point here is, Absalom's hatred has been allowed to brew because proper justice was neglected. God's word was not put into effect. If God's word had been brought to bear, Amnon would have been dealt with Lawfully, two years before this. But here's the result of trying to sweep the matter under the carpet. That bit was David's fault. But Absalom is to blame as well. We're told for two years Absalom never said a word to his brother Amnon. He allowed hatred and bitterness to fester away in his heart. That's not what God's Word calls us to. God's Word says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Address the issue. Bring it into the open. Don't sit on it, brooding over it. Go and deal with it. And if others need to get involved, Matthew chapter 18 explains how that's to happen. What should never happen is that we allow bitterness to put down roots in our heart and grow quietly in our heart. That can only end badly. It can only make a bad situation even worse. If something's eating away at your heart, please bring it into the open. If you don't know how to go about that, ask for help. Don't leave it to brew and bubble away inside you. In the chapters to come, we'll see how this chaos develops in Israel. But in the meantime, we have to ask, what do we take away from this today? Well, one major application is the need to listen to and obey God's word. When we ignore it, there are ugly consequences. And we have seen just a sample of that kind of bitter fruit. We need to learn personally from what we see here. But we also need to see what this means for the world. Because back in chapter 7, God made a major promise to David. He said he would establish an eternal kingdom through one of David's sons. But so far, things don't look very promising. We've seen one of David's sons commit rape and another commit murder. We need something better than this. And as we read on in the Old Testament, through David's descendants, that sense of disappointment never really goes away. Every new generation just picks up the sinful legacy of the previous generation. Each generation fails to learn the lessons they should learn. Each generation continues the corruption and the mess. Only Jesus breaks that cycle. It was not until Jesus that a descendant of David could say, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I always do what pleases him. No other son of David could say that. But it's true of Jesus. He's the only one who can break the cycle of bitter fruit. Apart from Jesus, utopia is always just a dream. Apart from Jesus, we are doomed to endless brokenness. But through Jesus... Utopia will become a reality. It's promised even in the Old Testament. It's pictured at the end of the New Testament. One day it will be enjoyed by all those who belong to Jesus. So if you are weary of sin, if you're weary of it in your own life and you're weary of sin all around you, then turn to Jesus. Come to him and pray, your kingdom come. Let it come in my own heart. I want to honor you with my life. I want you to reign as king in my life. I want your word to rule my life. And we can also pray, will you return to this earth? Will you bring your kingdom fully? Will you come at last and free us from the bitter fruit of sin? Let's bring all these things to Jesus as we sing together. Wonderful Savior.